everyone. How's it going? Um, I guess we'll just wait and see if uh, our democracy is going to withstand this transition or not. Fingers crossed. Would be great to keep it. Let's see. Today is November 22nd, 2020. The year that just keeps on giving. Today, my guest is Cheryl Mann, and she is a longtime company member of Hubbard Street Dance Chicago. I would call her a principal dancer because I've seen them perform um, a number of times, and she was always kind of showcased as the the dancer. But um, she's modest, and she would never say that, but, but I'll say that. She was a principal dancer for Hubbard Street. And it's um, interesting because she's half Vietnamese and half white. And she grew up in the South, in Tennessee and in Florida. And she's just going to talk about her unique upbringing and what what led her to dance and how she transitioned from dance to a different career. Oh, and it is the last weekend before Thanksgiving. And they're telling everybody not to go see friends and family. Just stay within your house, which totally sucks. But the infection rates are out of control. So just bite the bullet, people. Let's just get through this without more people dying. So we'll be staying home. Unfortunately, we will not be driving down to L.A. and celebrating, you know, Dodger World Series win and giving everybody a hug in LA. So we'll just be camped out here as we have been since March because our government had no plan. Basically the plan was no plan, you do it. And we all went, okay. Kind of like a nation of latchkey kids with absolutely zero parental supervision. We're just trying to get by and not die. So on with the show. Enjoy our little chat. She's a really interesting person. And, you know, if you have dance ambitions, it's kind of a it's kind of nice to hear somebody else who accomplished it already. So thank you, Cheryl Mann, for joining me today on the Asian Fail podcast. And I just wanted to start out by asking you where you grew up. I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, really? For some reason, I thought you grew up in Florida. Yeah. um, My mother, she, well, I was conceived in Saigon, Vietnam. And then in 72, she brought her family over to Tennessee having married an American in the Vietnam War. So -hmm. I was born in Knoxville, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So your mother was Vietnamese and she ended up marrying an American soldier. How was that received by her family at that time? This is always a mystery to me. Um, Strangely, it seems like they received it well. I, I know that her dad was highly 
regarded in the Vietnamese community. He was the president of a Vietnamese temple. He was, he owned a chain of jewelry stores. He was sort of up there in the community, well-respected. She was the third child. And it seems like this would be something that would not be <laughs> um, seen in high regard, you know, but I don't know. I don't ever, I haven't ever learned of any rough times with her decision to marry this, this um, American soldier. And she anyway was sort of the child that kind of went against every grain <laughs> in the Vietnamese culture. So I think they just kind of let her do her thing and trusted her instincts. And that's what she did. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how um, volatile a situation was back then. And yeah. especially, you know, in the early 70s, you're looking at these um, Americans who are, I guess, predominantly white coming into your country, mm -hmm. you know, fighting your <laughs> citizens and your mother right. marrying one of them. I know. <laughs> like, they, they. I think about it all the time. And I still, it, it kind of, I don't know if the story that we know is sort of glossed over, but it just seemed like it was okay at the time. She, even how they met, they met, um, my mother was singing in a band and he mm. was managing a band, a different band. And they were both invited to a wedding and it's unlucky to go to a wedding by yourself. So their friends put them together and three days mm. later, three days later, he asked her to marry him. Wow. And at first she said no. And then she came back and said yes. So that happened. Wow. <laughs> Which is still hard to imagine, you know, after all this time. And because they were married, he became a citizen of Vietnam. He loved it so much there. He wanted to oh. stay. But when it got too, too bad for us to be there, he knew it was time for us to leave. So we were allowed into the States and we went to Tennessee even before he did, to sort of be near his father, my grandpa, in Knoxville. So he he was kind of the one that brought us in. Wow, that's amazing. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, it must have been volatile and um, out of the ordinary in Vietnam. But then your white father coming home to Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. With a Vietnamese wife, like how did that yes. go over? I, it, it was actually, it was somewhat short because he ended up passing away after I turned one. He had oh a heart gosh. attack a day before his 20th birthday. So he must he, have been very young though. He was literally, it was a day before his 28th birthday when he passed away. He had a heart attack. So that happened and then here is my mom in tennessee with two kids and no husband you know and his my grandpa really became the man in our family and just became the one that that i knew as a father growing up so my mother was very adamant about us growing up um, to be americans she didn't want us to learn vietnamese by the time she asked us if we wanted to learn vietnamese we were already about seven or eight years old and of course we're like what right no why you know she was going to college at ut 
at the time. So we were living in her dorm with her and she had got a oh roommate. Gosh. She had a roommate named Shaw and um, she was like our other mom. We had two moms Aww. and she, her best friend growing up. And then we moved into this little house um, in Knoxville. And that's kind of where we, where I remember the, the bulk of my childhood, childhood before I moved to Orlando. <laughs> Um, and then did your mom move you guys to Orlando um, because of a job prospect? Well, when I was nine, she ended up marrying a professor from UT. And mm. he he got a job transfer in Orlando at University of Central Florida. So he's the one that moved us. And really, you know, all of our lives just sort of took an entirely new direction once we moved. Okay. Yeah. And growing up in that area, were there a lot of um, kids of mixed race? No, no. <laughs> there were none. And the thing is, because we were, those were, that's where we lived and grew up. No one ever, to my memory, treated us differently, even though we were different. We didn't even realize that we were different. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom had a lot of Vietnamese friends in her college so they would be at our house all the time and you know having parties and there we were so we were always surrounded by Vietnamese culture and celebrating the Vietnamese New Year and my mother would always sing and we would go and the dragons would you know they would do their performance and we would all be part of it and so we knew that side of things but we'd never we didn't go to temple we didn't really go to church we weren't very we weren't super we weren't growing up in a religious traditional household Mm -hmm. um, we were always really aware, but we weren't really asked to sort of practice anything specific. Um, and I always thought that was interesting too. They just, you know, we were raised to be just very thoughtful, good people. And my grandpa was, you know, Baptist and, you know, he wouldn't even, we wouldn't even really go to church. He would never ask us or pressure us to, to think a certain way. But, um, well, that must have been yeah. a blessing as you look yeah. back on it. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. I appreciate yeah. that sort of not being told what to think or how to be. And right. growing up in Tennessee, you know, we were all, the kids were just, we were just family. We were little rugrats, you know, we were kind of mm -hmm. tomboys and we all got along. And later in life, when my brother and I came back to our elementary school to visit, um, we went and our same principal was there and we were in our 20s and we couldn't believe she was still there because we always thought right. she was so old when we were there. And right. she, we looked at her and we were stunned and, and we said, do you remember us? And she looked at us and said, of course I do. You were the first Asians to ever come to the school. Right. And we, we didn't even know that, you know, we just were like, huh? It was so <laughs> odd to make that realization that we we sort of were the pioneers of right you know this mixed yeah. race in the school having no idea and never feeling it and never feeling odd about it the only time i will say that i was offended by someone saying something about my race was in high school and it was a, a good friend of mine at the time and it was he sent me a candy gram on valentine's day and it said to my best Chinese friend. And I was like, what? 
Like that, I was so offended and I have never. First of all, I'm not Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't know why it set me off on such a rage with him, but. Uh-huh. And I mean, he had been, fr- we have been, I don't know what it is yeah. to say. I would probably laugh about it now, but I guess I have to sort of sit with why that bothered me so much. Um, <laughs> but it did. Maybe because he just had, he felt like he needed that qualifier. Like, I guess. Well, you're my best Chinese friend. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I have what? so many different types of friends. Yeah. I don't and know. I, I think I'm also so appreciative that every school in Florida and that I attended was so diverse. Mm-hmm. It was so mixed that I always mm-hmm. loved that. You know, I mm-hmm. loved, I, d- I wasn't a part of a specific clique, I think because I had dance in my life and I didn't feel the need to belong to anything in school, like any mm-hmm. clubs or any sports because I had my thing that I would do after school. So mm-hmm. I was just friends with everybody. I didn't have a group that I sort of felt that I belong to. So I liked having friends in every single culture at my school. And I liked whoever I was in class with, you know, or the people that I saw the most. And I enjoyed being around them and, and with them. And I think in everything that I did after high school, I was always surrounded by really diverse people of color and race and, um, you know, just I don't know. I, I always, I'm more comfortable in a diverse setting than I am, I think, in an area where it's all one. Yeah. One, oh, for sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, yeah, when you are the minority in, you know, an area, but your children and children don't really pick up on those kinds of differences. No. Until we're like older. And then people start to, yes, project things or say things to you. And it just catches you off guard because you're you're thinking, where is this coming from? And mm. then what do you what do you mean? Like, so, yeah, yeah so you don't really um, you're not really aware of it un- until people start putting it on you. You know, right. It's not it's not like you're little and you have this internal dialogue. Right. You know, you're just kind of observing the world through a child's eyes and. You're playing definitely. with kid, other kids, but yeah. yes, when you, definitely when you get older, um, people start addressing you as this type, and yeah, that's where all the confusion starts. Yeah, and it's I, usually adolescence. It you is know, when everyone is trying to figure themselves out. Yeah, because kids, my my daughter is eight, and with all of the the recent, you know the recent Black Lives Matter movements and, you know, we watch everything and we talk about things and my kids are very, very, very fair. My daughter has blonde hair and blue eyes and my son Mm -hmm. has green eyes and really light curly, curly hair. And I'm thinking, apparently I had no genes to offer these (laughs) these children (laughs) of mine that people ask me if I'm their nanny, you know, when we go places. I'm like, no, these are my kids. But, um, she asks me, you know, why do we have to care about the color of our skin? She's just so, they're just so pure of heart that they, mm-hmm. they see everyone as humans. They, they mm-hmm. see everyone as people and friends and, you know, just they don't. So it's, it's, it's been a lot, you know, to discuss with them, to make them understand why this is happening and how we got here. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, so 
hard to have to to see people, kids who are so pure, have to learn this hatred and understand it. And then they have, they will never be the same. They will mm-hmm. never be as pure and simple again. Yeah. Any yeah. of them, like, you know, any mm-hmm. of her friends, it doesn't matter what color their skin is. They just love each other and they enjoy mm-hmm. each other and they laugh and play. And I don't know, it is, it's such a, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. They're just so innocent, right? And you feel bad that you have to explain, like, you know, some terrible, terrible things <laughs> for for any so, any 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 kid, for any of their friends, yeah. for any mm-hmm. anyone with any. You know, it's just hard. The whole thing is so hard. Have you had to do the Thanksgiving lesson with her yet? <laughs> we have in jest we have because they've always been so young, but eventually, yes, we will have to get there because we we kind of we have our our little banter about it with each other, the the adults in the room. You know, it's kind of ironic that we're here celebrating this day. <laughs> right. But we, you know, we also do make it what we are thankful for and Mm-hmm. it's that kind of a tradition but yeah there is that undertone of uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you read the the school textbooks and you're like mm-hmm. hey they really <laughs> left yes it is we are quite <laughs> conflicted <laughs> it's like that and the whole you know american revolution and, right you know there's a lot Civil War. Yeah, yeah so you're like okay mm-hmm. we'll just try to keep it g-rated here um but yeah so you grew up in you know you grew up partly in tennessee and then you moved to orlando mm-hmm. and um i know that you studied you were very very into dance so what got you interested in dance in the first place well i wasn't interested in dance my mother she okay so the whole thing with dance started with my mother wanting me to have good posture so she put me in ballet mm, mm-hmm. once a week in Tennessee, and it was torture. It was like the least, it was the, the lowest on my list of things that I would rather do. I played baseball, and I ran track, and I just would like to be outside hanging out with my friends in the neighborhood. So having to go to dance and putting on pink tights and doing all this, I was like, ugh. I just, I didn't fight too, too hard, but every year I did say, okay, I'm not going to do dance this year. And she's like, okay, get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay. So I would go and tolerate that, you know, because I don't, be, being of, you know, being a daughter of an Asian mother, you just know, you're just not going to win. <laughs> so no. there's really no, no use in arguing. Just get in the car, you know. So that's what I did. So I did mm-hmm. ballet once a week and then, it was sort of this thing that I just had to do. It's part of my eating my vegetables type thing. So I, once we moved to Orlando and I was taken away from my friends and my grandpa and my life and I was 11, you know, we're going into, supposed to be going into middle school and mm-hmm. moving to Orlando was really, it was a really hard time because kids are, are mean, you know, and we, we were in this sort of small, neighborhood and we knew each other since forever kindergarten and here i am having to start over in sixth grade and that was tough for me because i was kind of a ragamuffin 
we we weren't wealthy people. I wore my brother's hand-me-down clothes and probably rarely thought to brush my hair. And, you know, I just wasn't put together. Like I wasn't preppy. And the school that I went to was super preppy and very, mm-hmm. very different. That, that whole Esprit brand, remember, with mm-hmm. um, headbands that matched their socks. They had the alligator that had, you know, I didn't own anything like that or anything that was pink even and it was just different i i definitely felt like i like you landed I right in the in. 80s yeah i definitely <laughs> landed in the 80s um and i didn't really fit in so it was tough um and then the only thing that i somewhat felt uh, any connection to was dance so when she took me to a dance studio um, she took me to a few different dance studios. We could tell that some were pretty competition based and I didn't really understand what any of that was. And then we finally found a studio that felt like family. Um, and that's where we were. And that, that became the place that I felt the most comfortable being was in a dance studio. And I think what helped too was the very first day, this little dancer shossayed over to me. Her name was Mary Evelyn Freeman. She shossayed over and she said, hi, I'm Mary. What's your name? And no one had really spoken to me, you know, since I I had moved there. And I was so taken back by it and appreciative that she went out of her way to, to do that to a new person. And, you know, she's still one of my best friends today. So it became this place that I couldn't wait to get to, that I wanted to end up doing more than one day a week because it became my sort of safe place. And and then it sort of just, my love for dance kind of grew from that point on. And did you have a particular style that you were attracted to more than others? At the time I, I was doing ballet, but I sort of knew that I didn't want to be a ballerina per se, but I didn't really know what that meant because I didn't take any other style of dance until I was 13. Then I started to take modern and tap and jazz. And I I think my head exploded, you know, having these other types of disciplines introduced. Uh, Modern always felt really, really good. And it's also our teachers. Our teachers were very special. my, My ballet teacher basically took me under her wing and started over with me because my training at eight years old, I was put on point and point shoes, and I was—I had nowhere near the strength to be on point yet, and I, I had really bendy, flexible feet. So when I go up on point, my knuckles were would go all the way to the ground, and she mm. saw that and she's like, "Take those off." So she started me back, sort of at the basics and the fundamentals of strengthening your feet and doing things so that I don't get injured. And she really saw something in me and and took the time and energy to help me kind of have have the technique and strength that I needed if it in fact was something that I was gonna want to do. Um, mm-hmm. She always saw something in me be, way, well, well before I saw anything in myself mm-hmm. in dance. And she's uh, the one that sort of shaped my entire career. She, she suggested the college that I went to. She wow. took me to a master class with Mary Evelyn um, that was taught by Claire Bataille, who was a dancer with Hubbard Street Dance Chicago. And that's the mm-hmm. first time 
I had taken a ballet class, a, a jazz class that we did a ballet bar. Um, was is the warm up for a ballet class to fun music like um, Talking Heads. I, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it wasn't the classical piano kind of pots and pans, just banging on the piano, kind of like a record with p uh, ballet right. songs. It was like music that we had heard of, and I'm doing ballet to it. And I thought, this is crazy. And then we got to the center, and then she taught a, um, a jazz combination that was so smooth. And like, I'd never seen this style before. And it was like, it was encompassing everything that I sort of naturally had in my body. Um, it felt good to me. It felt natural. It felt organic. And I never forgot that class. And that became the place, wherever she was dancing, became the place that I wanted to be. So from mm -hmm. the age of 16 or 15, I forget how old I was. From that point on, I knew I wanted to dance for Hubbard Street. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Because so after high school, you went to, was it a, a specifically dance college? It was a fine arts college in arts Pittsburgh. College. Yep. It was mm -hmm. called Point Park, Point Park College. It's now a university. But, you know, they had sports teams, but they weren't, we were so small. We were just, we had two, two buildings in the middle of downtown Pittsburgh. Um, and it, it sort of reminded me of fame. <laughs> that show mm -hmm. <laughs> when I went there I was like okay this is cool this people dancing me of in fame. the cafeteria yeah I felt like people were going to start doing like PK turns <laughs> over the bridge like across the in like in right. circles and around fountain I, I really did have that sense of like this school is different I can be here I didn't want to get lost in a big big school I did audition at Indiana University and Butler and there's mm -hmm. a predominantly ballet at the time and I remember in the Indiana University, the director said I would be on probation for a year for my weight. What? And instantly I was like, I don't want to be part of this. I don't want to be weighed. I don't want to be told wow. that I'm overweight. And, you know, it was just Well, ballet really... seems to be very yeah. strict. Yeah. It is. It is. And you you're, you have the ba a ballet, you have the body or you don't. And I had right. I had a, a bigger lower half and a really thin upper half. So I always had really muscular legs. And I knew I don't really have a tutu body. Like my body mm. is not the, uh, I knew I didn't really have the aesthetic. Um, and I also didn't really have, I, I just, I, I had so many other um, interests, you know, movement wise and company wise mm -hmm. and rep wise and things like that. So I, I really admire ballet dancers. I think they're insanely beautiful and gorgeous. And I always knew I was not going to be one of them. <laughs> right. Well, it just seems like the other styles, especially contemporary gives you such a larger breadth of expression. For me, um, um, yeah. I, I mean, I have, I have a pretty quiet voice and I, I, my friends always tell me that you're always so calm, like you're so calm to be around and even keel. And even when you're freaking out, we can't even tell that you're freaking out. And in, in dance and in contemporary dance, I can express emotions that I don't express sort of in naturally in life, but I can become other people through movement and through different characters that I'm, I'm given. And I love that. I feel like I, I can, it's such, it's so cathartic. For me to be able to have that platform to like express myself in different ways i just don't know what i would have ever done without it you know 
And then after Point Park, um, did you go straight into dancing for a company? I did. I moved to Chicago with Hubbard Street in my heart and um, did not get the job right out of the bat. And then danced for a company called River North Dance Chicago. And mm-hmm. the, one of the directors there is someone who had come to Point Park and choreographed a piece on us while I was there. And he was a former Hubbard Street dancer. His name is Frank Chavez. And I every single class he took, I took it. Every single, anywhere Frank was in, in my school, I was there too, because he had that same essence that Claire had of movement quality and musicality and style. And I just gravitated towards it so much that I knew this is just something I want to do. This is something that I'm meant to do. Um, and so going to Chicago, when I auditioned for Hubbard Street, he was at the studios teaching a class and he was looking through the window and remembered me and afterwards saying, well, if this doesn't work out, you know, come over with us, come play with us at River North. And I was so thankful that he was there and that that he gave me that offer. And so when I moved to Chicago, that's what I did. I went to River North and I, I was there for, it was sort of an eight week audition because it was a very small company and there was only so many positions. And there was one dancer who was on the edge of like whether she was gonna stay or not. So it was sort of waiting for her to decide and mm-hmm. just being there and being a fly on the wall and learning, learning the movement and the rep, not knowing if I was going to ever get this job. So when I did get it, it, it just, it made everything make sense, you know, for me being there with Frank and meeting Sherry Zunker, who was the other co-director who I just admired so much. And these dancers with strong, strong personalities and getting to start to tour and, you know, dancing pieces that I really love to do. It became my, my first home and all of my formative best friends, you know. I mean, that must've been incredible to actually be able to work in dance <laughs> because True. when people think of careers <laughs> they don't think that you can actually survive being a dancer <laughs> you know but there are lots of professional companies out there my first job was when i was 17 dancing for disney world and i remember my brother saying when are you ever going to get a real job you mm-hmm. know because mm-hmm. we were we were paid really well and i was at home and it was just like playtime. it was so fun and i I danced there for five years all through college and, you know, all of my paychecks just went given to my dad and pay for my college. And it was amazing time. And then moving to Chicago, starting to dance with River North. I mean, we were paid $75 a week. So Mm -hmm. we all had other jobs. I had five other jobs that I, we did at night. We cocktail waitress, we taught classes on the weekends in the suburbs. I sold dance clothes um at capizio dance and fitness to hubbard street dancers i fit them for their shoes you know i i did we did whatever we needed to do to be able to to dance there we did whatever we needed to do we lived together you know we we just made it happen it was the best best of times really Mm. that sounds like such a good sitcom (laughs) all these dancers living together (laughs) We the, every day I felt like was a different episode with us. There was always some insane, hilarious drama with someone. Yeah. You know, we still yeah. talk about it today. Like someday we'll all be in the same old folks' home 
talking about our <laughs> stories, you know, laughing still. <laughs> yeah, I would wa- totally watch that show. And then oh, you'd have good. these awesome dance interlude numbers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You spent the same memory, memories exactly. that we had. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So eventually you were able to become a dancer at Hubbard Street. So how did that happen? Yes. I auditioned for that company three times. And wow. I ended up, I always laugh about this because my last time auditioning, I had just done a hair show for Clairol. And my hair was mm. bright red. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I know that Lucanti, some of his his most cherished dancers from the past had red hair. And for mm-hmm. and like suddenly when my hair is red, I ended up getting hired. And I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna have to have red hair the whole time that I dance here. <laughs> you know, and it just became it was timing and there's so many reasons about why you why it's the right time for you. It depends on who's leaving. Are you the same height? We fit into their costumes. What kind of dancer mm-hmm. you are? Can you do the roles that are are open? You know, there's all kinds of reasons why you do and do not get jobs. Um, a lot of it's timing, and right. I I know that also from being on the other side and hiring dancers for things that you know sometimes it's really hard to pass dancers up that you love and and think they're so incredible, but they're just not going to fit this particular spot. You know can be really tough, but it was good that I understood that. Also working for Disney, um, my last year when I was in college, they let me come to the other side of the table because they knew that they would just give me the same summer job that I had had for the past five years. And I heard everything that they said and it was like, she's great, but her torso is too long. You know, she's not gonna fit in the costumes. Her face is too long. It's gonna look odd in the wigs. Um, her nose. So da, da, da. I was like, wow, it has nothing to do with their dancing at all. Mm, you know, and mm-hmm. actually it was nice for me to be able to tell them that because they, they are defeated and depleted at the end. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with that. You know, so it's mm-hmm. hard. It's still hard pill to swallow, but good to know sort of, cause you're always, you are your, your own worst critic. So it's good to right. know like, Oh, I don't suck as a dancer. It's really my body type. And I can, I can stomach that a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you, you don't get any feedback at all. No. So you're always left wondering. Very, very, yeah. It's, uh, you don't, you rarely get feedback. Yeah. So then I remember first meeting you, you were dancing and you were the principal dancer of, of Hubbard Street. We at went Hubbard? to go see it's you so yeah, when you were on tour. We never yeah. say that. I don't know if people say that. And I think I must have had a good night. <laughs> I do. I will say I was there for 11 years and I did get to do some insanely amazing, unforgettable roles. Um, everyone that I danced with on stage, I feel, we, we didn't have sort of ranks or hierarchy that way as far as in our bios, you know, it's like, in ballet, we have a principal and a soloist and mm-hmm. corps de ballet, we were just the ensemble. So um, mm-hmm. it's flattering to hear you say that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was the most amazing time. It really was. Because not only did you get to tour in America, you toured all around the world. We did. With that company, we right? Did. So what was we- the most interesting place you got to go in your <laughs> recollection? Oh boy. Just in terms of maybe cultural, because like I said, you're you're an Asian mm-hmm. woman <laughs> and a very big part of the company. You know, yeah. you're in a lot of the pieces that they had. 
So it must have been very interesting for audiences abroad, you know, to yeah. see that, I would think. Yeah. And because we had such a diverse company, I feel like we were interesting to see, mm -hmm. to, to watch. And the pieces that they, that overseas would gravitate towards more are, were our most American pieces. You know, the, we did an mm. iconic piece called the forties. Really jazzy. Yeah. They would, mm -hmm. I mean, we never experienced the type of response that we would get in Germany, say, if we were in Iowa, you know, there's everyone in America is so conservative when it comes to audience. They don't want to, like, they're afraid to laugh if they think something's funny or they're quiet or in overseas, if something's funny, you're going to hear people cackling and laughing. And if at the end we would do three encores sometimes. Mm. They we would they would be stomping their feet on the ground like there's the thunder like we would hear it they would have this clap that was just you know everyone would get in sync and we would we would do an encore we would repeat the last part of the dance and then it would happen again and then we'd repeat the last part of the dance again you know and sometimes <laughs> we're like oh my god we're dying like you know, stop stop clapping but it it was amazing to have that kind of a response. <laughs> you know, we yeah, felt like rock stars. Stop loving us so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're tired. We need to eat something. But yeah, it's right. it was insane. It was it was incredible. And the houses, the theaters, the the response. We just felt very welcome anywhere that we were. You know, dance is such a universal language that it's mm -hmm. people of all cultures can enjoy, and we can understand each other, and we can speak without speaking. You know, because there right. is obviously the language barrier that we would have and we would always be very you know uh, we would try to be very considerate and polite and try not to offend you know we, we we know that we're guests here and i don't know it was also i think it helped with me feeling comfortable that we traveled a lot overseas when i was young very young i think my first passport my mom stuck me in a photo booth and she you can see her hand holding me up because i'm like one and i'm bald but we would she's got her family when they moved from vietnam they moved to belgium they moved to frankfurt um, paris so we would always be traveling overseas to visit our family and wow. so i was sort of used to the cultural differences and understanding how to be you know, in those situations and not feel scared or out of place. You know, I think it was, it. I always had traveled as a child. So traveling with 24 of my friends, you know, in our early twenties overseas with no cell phones and no form of communication, not knowing, you know, just trusting us that we're going to make it to the stage that night. I, I think about this all the time. Like, how did we do that? We had maps. You know, yep. we had language barrier. Paper. We had paper. We 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 asked yeah, questions. No Google Translate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. So, you know, that was incredible when I think about it. Yeah, incredible. it must have been yeah fantastic. Yeah, and then you transitioned from dance life to a different kind of career, and. You know, you didn't go about like being a dance teacher or, you know, working in an office. Mm -hmm. you know, what did you transition <laughs> yes, into? Yes, I, I, well, I was also a dancer that ended up getting injured a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had 
two ACL repairs on my left knee. I had back oh. surgery on a herniated disc in my lower back when I was 28. Um, mm. That sort of laid me up for a little while. So I've another thing that I've always loved to do is take pictures of, of people and friends and tours and document things. I was always sort of the archivalist, um, always had a camera. So when I was injured, I had this, you know, little point and shoot Samsung camera and our dance studio was across the street from a, a camera store. And I went over there to see if they could fix it because something was wrong. It wasn't really working well. And I am with this Chinese man named Martin Chung, who is sort of my godfather of photography. <laughs> when I, when I was first starting out, he's like, you don't want this camera. I'm like, no, I actually do. I want you to fix it. He's like, nope, you don't want this camera. And he pulled out a Canon Rebel as a SLR, interchangeable lenses. I'm like, I'm not going to carry that big old thing on tour. He's like, yes, you will. Yeah, you will. He's like, feel how light it is, you know, and he's selling me on this camera. He's like, buy this camera and I'll teach you how to use it. And that was it. I mean, I got that camera and being able to change lenses and mm -hmm. um, seeing the results and then sitting in the wings because I, you know, I couldn't dance at the time and taking pictures during shows of my friends and, you know, getting some terrible, terrible shots and getting some amazing shots because you have a different perspective where side lighting is behind you and it creates a glow around this figure if they hit it exactly right. And I would go to the dark room and just play around with developing on my own, like something else to do. It, it was an outlet to help me through the time of not being able to dance with them, but still be a part of it because I'm still there with them just looking at them through the camera. So being able to give them this gift of this image that they would never get any other way was really special to me. And then I, I started kind of geeking out about it and thinking, okay, well, that didn't work this time. What if I go to a different wing and I shoot it from a little bit further back? And because I knew the rep and I knew the timing. So mm -hmm. it was really just learning how to capture it, where to be, how to frame things. And it was became this thing like dance, like you, you, if you're falling out of a pirouette, you have to correct it. You know, if, if you if you have a picture that's not lit right or it's out of focus, you have to try again and correct it, you know. And I had lots of opportunities to try again and again and again. And I had dancers who would just go out with me and play and be my little muses. And I could do portraits and say, climb that tree and take your shirt off and swim out to that rock and I'll shoot you hanging from that thing out there. You know, it's like we just started mm -hmm. to play wherever we were and try to do these conceptual artistic shots, you know, and it just became really fun and something for me to do and an outlet of mine for dance. So I don't know, it, now it kind of found me photography. Um, and then people started asking me, can you take a headshot for me? I need a picture for this. Um, a friend of mine would start a dance company and say, can you take pictures of my company for this poster? And, you know, I would just do it just for fun. And then, then it got to the point where it's like, oh no, I gotta, people are telling me I have to start charging. You know, I have to start charging you for this. How am I going to do that? I can't guarantee that I'm going to get anything good. And, you know, it's that confidence that I didn't quite have that I had in my dancing, but people had a certain confidence in me. So that's sort of how the business grew. Yeah, it seems like a natural progression from one who's doing the dancing to one who's documenting the dancing mm -hmm. because you have that um, specific point of view 
and you, you know, you know, like what the picture should look like, I guess. Yeah. And then you know why something is like a beautifully framed um, position, you know, yeah. that the dancers land in and things like that. Yeah. So, and that's the thing. Yeah. I always think it's amazing when dance photographers are not dancers. I think it's amazing because you have to sort of anticipate the height of, of a jump or um, a split. You know, you have to mm -hmm. just before because it's so it's such a teeny millisecond of um, opportunity to catch mm -hmm. that the height of anything. And for me, I know what that feels like in my body. So I kind of know how to live vicariously through whoever I'm shooting and become that person at the time and catch myself in the air. You know, that's right. That really helps. Yeah. You can time the picture and their full expression yes. at the same time yes. yeah to get that to yeah. capture that yeah so yeah i think that's i think that's great and yeah now you are a working photographer i am do you still dabble in the dance world i do i just taught a zoom class to cal state long beach i teach master classes on occasion um I don't teach regularly but people do call upon me to teach here and there and it's kind of fun I, I always knew that I wasn't probably the best candidate to teach, like be a regular teacher every single day. I'm more mm -hmm. of that fun teacher that comes in and like teaches a really fun class and everybody mm -hmm. loves it. And then I move on and then I come back and they look right. forward to it. But I always wonder, would they look forward to my class if I had to teach them every single week? I don't know. You know, you kind of, I, I like to be that, that person that comes in and gives them a breath of fresh air on occasion because it can be difficult to have to take class every single day. It can be a, mm -hmm. a challenge for people to find their way with that and to understand, you know, to find your peace with it sort of. Cause even in a contemporary dance company, we took ballet every single day. Mm. And that was sort of, we'd always say, this is our hour of humility. <laughs> and we were all really, really, you know, technically proficient, but, it just, it was always sort of a struggle because it's not what we did all day long. So mm -hmm. we, it was sort of a, a battle, like, am I feeling completely prepared for my day from a ballet class? Mm, not, not really. Mm. Sometimes I would go in and, and, you know, I would come out feeling tighter than before when I went in. Depends on the day. And to find a way to take class sort of in a contemporary mindset really find right. my way with that wasn't easy so when you teach these master classes mm -hmm. are they pieces that you remember or are they new pieces that you've developed specifically for the class i either just teach a straight up ballet class technique class or i sometimes teach a bar and i use my own fun music like clara did mm -hmm. and i will teach a piece of rep that i've done with hubbard street by you know, these well-known choreographers that I get to sort of share an excerpt from something that we did of a piece that they might know very well. And they're hungry to sort of get to know and understand the movement. And th that's sort of what I enjoy doing the most because I get to share a little bit of a piece of what I used to do. And I think it's so special, the, the pieces that I got to do. So that's kind of what I always teach. And are you interested in the social media apps at all, say like TikTok? 
<laughs> that are almost like geared for dancers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's a hoot. I'll tell you that my daughter is eight and she has a restricted TikTok. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'll do dances with her. The only one I've done so far is Renegade because that's my favorite. But um, <laughs> I, I like the aspect of her at eight years old watching these videos and learning the dance herself and mm -hmm. learning them well. And she has, she's mm -hmm. always been sort of shy also, but she's come out of her shell as far as like, she's always taken ballet and she takes hip hop, but she's been super shy. Like on stage, she always purses her lips or sticks her tongue out. You know, it's like her nervous tick on stage. And with TikTok, she's like starting to perform, not in a, not in like a cheesy way, but a cool way. I'm like, yeah, I like that. Like, I like seeing her confidence coming out. I, you know, I hesitate with, with too much of it because I have to really approve everything that she's watching and things like that. I have mm -hmm. to be careful about that. But I think TikTok's fun. I think that it's, it's making people sort of open up a bit, you know, mm -hmm. movement wise and be okay being silly. Cause I think that's really important that people right. have humility and know how to laugh at themselves and know how to, you know, put themselves out there in kind of a silly way. I think it is so healthy for people. So and for that respect, I think it's great. There are a lot of things on TikTok I do not like, but the dance aspect of it, I like. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought when I first heard about TikTok, I was like, wow, that's really specific. <laughs> really <laughs> it took specific. Me forever app. to understand <laughs> yeah. what that was. I, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Some of the younger yeah. kids that I had taught, they're like, do you know what TikTok is? Do you want to do a TikTok? I'm like, no, I don't want to know what it is. I don't have the bandwidth for it. Like, don't. And I don't. And even when they'd explain it, I'm like, no, I still don't get it. So then when we finally downloaded it and, it and I was doing it with my daughter, I was like, oh, okay. So these are all the people that have done this dance and this is their version of it. And it's the same song and it's all a minute or 15 seconds. I'm like, okay, right. okay, okay. So that, you know, we, we tested it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anything, it's, it's, a fun little distraction, yeah. you know, and yeah. I guess pretty harmless, you know, as yeah. social media Hopefully. goes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it that yeah, way. We'll, we'll, we'll hope. Yeah. But um but what are your upcoming plans? Do you have any ventures um on the horizon? Well, it's tricky right now with this pandemic. I mm -hmm. for the past eight years I've been the Joffrey Ballet Chicago's photographer. So mm -hmm. even I moved to LA five years ago. So they've, they've been traveling me in and out of Chicago to shoot all of their performances. And now, you know, they've just announced that their 2021 season has been canceled. So a lot mm. of my shooting, you know, I was in Chicago for 20 years. So my network is, is strong there and of loyalty. And I just, I haven't been to Chicago since March. So yeah. it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to pivot and find more work here but even so you know we're in this this tricky time so and things have picked up here it's just there's something about chicago that you know my my roots are pretty deep in the ground there mm -hmm. and um it's you know just finding things here and there we do have a couple things moving my husband is a producer director we just did a short film with eight nine dance company was moving here, I became their executive director for mm -hmm. a, a few years, and I'm on their board of directors now. So I'm still involved in the dance community. Um, you know, I I will always be in the dance community <laughs> in some right. fashion. So 
trying to see to see where where dance is headed right now mm -hmm. you know it has to be sort of virtual and film oriented which is fun mm -hmm. i i like i like film i don't mind that i do i am sort of tired of watching dance on zoom you know i mm -hmm. like things well produced i like things polished and finished and i like the fantasy that you can create in dance with film and you can't really do that so much with zoom <laughs> so mm -hmm. i'm trying we're trying to find ways to do in this time responsibly still do quality you know dance put really in amazing dance out there um yeah you don't you don't have to use zoom i, I mean i know it's yeah. a good place to have lots of people come together at the same time yeah. but you know right. i feel like as long as you're shooting outside mm -hmm. it's probably yeah um, yeah i mean the we best venue. even if we did go inside everyone's tested first we have a COVID officer you know you, you find mm -hmm. ways to work responsibly everyone is masked up um but yeah that could be part of the dance costume absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. so looking forward to freer times but um, embracing what we can do now yeah let's hope we Get someone with a plan in yes, office so we can all go back to work and leave our houses. I know. So crossing fingers on the new year. Yeah, yes. that'll be that'll be awesome if yes. we can all leave our houses. Wouldn't it? And get back to life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, actually like fly somewhere without thinking you're going to contract some terrible disease. Yes. Yeah. Or bring it but, to someone else that, you know, right. like, ugh. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for oh, sharing pleasure. your time and um, just giving us a glimpse about how how it was like growing up Asian American and uh, a dancer in pro professional life and also photographer. So good luck to you. Thank you. Have a great rest of the year, New Year, Christmas. <laughs> yes, looking forward to the New Year. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.